This morning, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 12. We're going to read from verse 22 to verse 37. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is God's word for us this morning. You may have gotten a phone call or a voicemail lately saying, this is the IRS. We found that there is fraud and misconduct on your taxes and your attempt to defraud the government must be addressed. You have to pay today to avoid significant penalties. You need to wire us $2,000 today. And if you get this phone call and you happen to answer it and you object or you ask for further information or anything, they get even more aggressive. This is the IRS. You owe us money. If you don't pay today, we'll revoke your driver's license, we'll impound your car, your, your business license will be taken away, the police will come by this afternoon and haul you off to jail. You need to address this right now. Now, if you haven't guessed, this is a scam. Everyone who makes a phone call like that is a fake. These are just aggressive scammers trying to take advantage of people, and they especially try to target vulnerable people people who, who maybe are elderly or, or poor or don't have a lot of resources or ability to fight back, and they try to trick them, they try to bully them into sending the cash right now. And of course, once the cash is sent, it's gone, and the scammers move on to the next victim. And if, if you're like me, if, if you're a normal person, that scam might give you kind of that internal burning sense of anger, that there would be people who would try to get away with this kind of scam. That there would be people who would do this kind of thing, especially targeting 
the vulnerable, the elderly, the, the people who maybe can't fight back. And you might have this sense there should be, there should be punishment. There should be consequences. People should not get away with this kind of thing. And you know, the, uh, the Internal Revenue Service, the real tax collection agency, doesn't work quite like that. They're very, let's call it considerate, in that they send letters demanding money before they call you. And they provide official credentials to show they really are who they say they are, and they work with you on payment plans and things. But in the end, if you are dealing with the real IRS, they do have real authority from the government. And if it's the IRS you're talking to, you are going to have to pay. If they think you owe taxes and they turn out to be right, you will pay or you will suffer. And in that situation, you might still have that burning sense of anger, that sense that life isn't, ah, it just isn't right. That things just aren't working out how you think they should. But if you're up against a real authority, then, then the problem is with you. And you still have to to pay. The question comes back to whether you're dealing some, with someone with real authority or not. The question comes back to the identity of the person who you're working with. And that's the driving question behind this text that we read in Matthew. And it's, it's our first point for today. This question, what is the identity of Jesus? Who is Jesus really? We're in the midst of a sermon series on the miracles of Jesus. And if, if you noticed in the text that we read for today, the miracle story actually only takes up one verse and then it's done. At the beginning, at the first verse that we read for today, Jesus heals a demon-possessed, blind, and mute man. And the way that's phrased in the original language, it's pretty clear that the demon possession is what's causing this man to not be able to see and not be able to speak. And so Jesus casts out the demon, and when he does that, the man is miraculously able to see and to speak again. That's the first verse that we read for today, and then all the other verses are about who Jesus is and about his confrontation with these people who are opposing him. The people, the crowd around, are astonished by this miracle, and they wonder out loud, could this be the son of David? Could this man who's just performed this miracle, could he be God's king? Could he be the ruler that God has promised us? But Jesus' opponents claim the opposite. They see what Jesus does. They hear what he's claimed to be the last few chapters. And they have this burning sense of rage that this, this isn't possible. This man cannot be who he claims to be. This isn't right. And so in this text, they claim that Jesus is driving out demons by the power of the royal demons. By the power of the prince of demons, Beelzebub. This man is casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons, they say. And of course, that's utterly ridiculous. The charge doesn't make any sense. And so Jesus takes it apart in a couple different ways. First, he points out that a kingdom divided against itself is ruined. A city divided against itself won't stand. So if Satan, the royal demon, is casting out other demons, then Satan's kingdom is falling apart. And it wouldn't make any sense. Why would Satan go around undercutting himself? 
doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus gives this little parable. And he asks, who can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he's first tied up the strong man? And what Jesus is saying is, yes, the demons, yes, Satan, they're, they're powerful, they're strong, but I'm stronger. I'm stronger. And you can see that because I am taking people out of being demon-possessed. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, telling his opponents, if you look at what I'm doing, I am limiting Satan. I am fighting against demons and winning. And how can that be the case unless I am more powerful than Satan himself? And Jesus, in the midst of that, asks that, that question or makes that statement. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is upon you. In other words, Jesus is saying, if I have the power to do what I just did, and by the way, I did just cast out a demon, then I must be working with the power of God himself. Now, we do it in different ways, but people today still question Jesus' identity. They still hear about Jesus' claims, and and they still have that sense of rage and anger, and no, that can't be right. There are people who say Jesus was just a nutcase. He was crazy. He maybe had some cool skills, but basically, he was out to lunch. And there are people who say Jesus was a great guy, but, you know, he was just a teacher. That's all. He was just a human teacher who had some followers who exaggerated the stories, and that's it. There are people who say Jesus was a con man. He was just a fraud. He was a fake. He was good at, good at doing magic tricks. And there are people, and they point this more often at Jesus' followers than at Jesus, but they say, you know, Jesus, well, his teachings are colonialistic, patriarchal, regressive, retrograde, out of touch, irrelevant. Jesus is not who he claimed to be, they say. There's a classic way of putting this question. The question goes, is Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord? And that's just a different way of asking the question, who is Jesus? And if Jesus is anybody besides God, then we can safely pass him by. If he's a con man, if he's just a regular guy, if he's a magician, if he's a fake, any of those things, we can take him or leave him. But if Jesus is God, if Jesus is God's king, then we have to deal with him. If Jesus is Lord, then we have to take account of him in everything that we do. The miracle that Jesus performed in this passage shows us that Jesus has power over demons. Jesus has so much power that he is able to deal with the most evil, being in exist- evil beings in existence and just send them away. And throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus is the Son of God. God himself come down to us. That's the answer to our first question for today. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Lord. But then that leads to our second question for today. How do we respond to Jesus? 
A lot of you know who Jesus is. Maybe you've spent your whole life as Christians and you might feel kind of like, yeah, 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 get on with the point. But too often in our lives, we just leave the question of who Jesus is. We know that, but we don't take the next step. We don't take the step of commitment that we need to take. A number of our students here this last, these last few months, as, as every year, had to decide on a college to take, a college to go to. And it's a big step. Often you do a lot of research, you consider all kinds of options, you make a few campus visits, you narrow down your list, you maybe add one or two, make some more campus visits, you talk to friends, you talk to family, you talk to your parents, you maybe visit some more colleges, and then you apply, and you apply, and you apply, and you fill out grant and scholarship applications, and you talk to coaches if you want to be on a sports team, you talk to directors of different programs, you talk to professors in your major area, and you accumulate for many people anyway, you accumulate this huge store of information. And then your choice narrows down to two or three options. But then the time comes. The day comes, whether it's an artificial or outside deadline or an internal deadline, the point comes when you have to make a choice. You can't just collect information and let it sit. At some point, you have to decide, am I stepping this way or that way? Which college am I going to go to? And that has a profound impact on the rest of your life. And if you don't make that choice, if you choose just to step back and let the information sit there, then that's a choice too. And that too has an impact on your whole life. Now for those of us who aren't choosing to go to college, we still have, we still have big choices that, that we have to make. We stand in the store and do, do we buy this thing or not? We sit in front of our computer with the offer ready to go, and do we hit send or not? We stand there looking at the car, and we have to decide, do we buy or do we not buy? There are all kinds of situations in life where we have to make a commitment, an either-or, a step one direction or the other. And Jesus presents us with the greatest choice we will ever make. Do we step into the kingdom of God? or not. And if we choose not to step into the kingdom of God, we are choosing to step into the kingdom of evil. There is no other choice in the end. Now, because this is Memorial Day, I want to pause for just a second here, and I want to talk about how we relate to our country, to this earthly kingdom that we're part of. And all of us probably have a leaning one direction or the other. Some people tend to identify our country, this kingdom we live in, with the kingdom of God. And so our country must always be right, and we must always say everything about it is perfect, and we we have to be tremendously loyal because we feel like our country is where God's kingdom is in this world. We go too far down that road, and we make an idol out of our nation. That's in some ways what the Pharisees were doing in this text. They were wanting to preserve the power of their current state of Israel. And anything that threatened that had to go, even if it was God himself. We go too far down this road and we focus on God's gifts instead of God himself. But there's another side. There are people who look at the country they're in, and this is true of the United States and every other country in this world, who look at the country they're in and all they see is the bad stuff. And all they see is how this world doesn't measure up to the next world and doesn't measure up to God's ways. And and so they do their best to step back, 
to not engage with whatever nation they live in, to, to get as far away from it as they can because it's broken. And yes, every nation is broken, but God has put us where he's put us. God has given us the gift of being particular people, part of a particular family, part of a particular nation. And if we go too far in this direction, we lose the gifts that God has given us because we want to focus so much on him. The right way is to see that God's kingdom isn't identified with any national border, but also to see that God works in all parts of this world. Our right response as Christians is not to glorify or, or denigrate, hate, reject our nation. It's to be grateful for how God has worked, grateful for all the good things here, and to recognize that our nation isn't perfect and that we hope We hope for the new heavens and the new earth where God will make all things right. That's what we do with the kingdoms of this world. But now back to that choice between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. And Jesus makes it very clear in this text that there is no middle ground. Those who are not with me are against me, he says. And those who don't gather with me scatter. In the end, if you are not with Jesus, you are against him. And that is that. And that's the point Jesus is making in this text when he talks about some some sin that can't or won't be forgiven. We sometimes talk about that in terms of the unforgivable sin, and that's caused all all kinds of headaches and all kinds of anxiety over the years. And it's a hard saying when Jesus says, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's a hard passage to understand. It is. It's hard. People argue, people debate. But I think the answer lies in reading that section in the context of this whole passage. And let's review where we've been so far. Jesus heals a man who is demon-possessed. And let me say that again. Jesus heals a man who is demon-possessed. Jesus delivers a man who has been imprisoned by the worst of all possible powers. And then some people have looked at what Jesus just did and they've said, basically, you're the devil. They have looked at the word or the power of God in delivering someone from being imprisoned in a terrible way to evil, and they've said, no, that's not right. That's wrong. They've looked at what God himself is doing, and they've identified God's work as the work of Satan. God has a lot of patience with us. We can turn away from the gospel over and over and over again. We can refuse forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And and when we turn to him, he will still accept us. He will. But when we recognize the truth, when we recognize who Jesus is and we still turn away from him, that's when there's no hope for us. The sin against the Holy Spirit, as one commentator put it, is when people thoughtfully, willfully 
self-consciously reject the work of the Spirit even when there can be no other explanation of Jesus' miracles than that he is working in the power of the Spirit of God. When people like the Pharisees in this text look at Jesus' work and then for whatever reason, arrogance, jealousy, spite are probably the motivations we see in this text. For whatever reason, they look at Jesus' ministry and they say that, that he's evil, that that's the work of a devil. At that point, there is no God can and does and will forgive all kinds of sin. But the one sin, the one trespass, the one thing that he cannot, does not, will not forgive is continually, willfully, persistently, high-handedly turning away from him. And if we think about that, that just makes sense. If we will not admit that God is God, if we will not admit that Jesus is Lord, then how can we have any kind of relationship with Him? If we won't let God be God in our lives, what can He possibly do for us? If we will not live with God, then we have ourselves chosen not to be forgiven. And that is the choice we're given. If Jesus really is Lord, then we are either serving him or rejecting him. There is no neutral ground. Now, there can be all kinds of moments of choice, and there are all kinds of moments of choice in our lives. And even if we've chosen wrong every single time up to today, God still accepts. God still forgives. But if we never make that commitment, if we never take that step, then we are making a choice against the Lord. And we will all be held accountable for what we do and what we say. Our two questions for today, who is Jesus and how do we respond to him? Jesus is Lord, and so we either accept him or reject him. There is no middle ground. And so we come to our last point for today. And this one, it's not a question, it's a statement. We need Jesus. We all need Jesus. If the IRS gets in touch with us, it makes sense for us to verify their identity, to ask for paperwork, to get official credentials, to have everything laid out nice and clear and above board. And if someone won't do that for us, then we ignore them, we report them to the authorities, we move on because it's a scam. But if it becomes clear that this is the real deal, there's still the question of how we respond. Do we keep kicking against authority or, or do we in the end submit to the authority above us? Now I use that tax collection example because I do want us to feel a certain resistance, a certain weight to this. Because really we don't want to need Jesus. Really, deep, deep down, none of us want to admit how much we need Jesus. What we'd like is to arrange the universe however we want, and then if we can't quite get it how we like, we want to call Jesus in to fix up a few details. We don't really want to admit that Jesus has authority over us, that Jesus is truly Lord. 
we all at different points in our life have more or less resistance to, to really bowing the knee to Jesus. But our real situation is that we either bow the knee to Jesus or we live apart from the Lord and from all goodness forever. Our reading for today has a, has a really frightening ending, actually. Jesus looks at his opponents, he looks at the people around him, and he calls them a brood of vipers. And he tells them that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he says that all of us will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every single word that we've spoken. By our words, we will be acquitted, he says. And by our words, we will be condemned. Jesus tells us that we will have to give an account for every single word. And in this context, that's especially about every single word, every single action we take with regard to the Lord. And think on that for a moment. Do any of us really want to stand before anybody, let alone before God himself, and give an account for every single word that we've spoken? Who really wants that? Who among us wants to give an account for the last month of our lives, let alone our whole lives? Even if we're convinced that Jesus is Lord and we've always followed him, we have those moments where what we produce is not not great. We have those words that slip out that we regret. We have those moments where we slip up. We have those times where what overflows out of us is just not good. If we're to be acquitted or condemned by our own words, we are all in trouble. And that's why we need Jesus. Remember again the first verse of the story that we read for today. Some people bring a demon-possessed man to Jesus. This is a person who belongs entirely to the kingdom of evil. This is a person who has been claimed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He can't see. He can't speak. He is helpless and hopeless. He is condemned to a life of misery. And then, and then, and then Jesus heals him. Jesus delivers this man. He takes this man from the power of the kingdom of evil and he sets him free. Basically, he brings this demon-possessed man back to life. And Jesus does that for all of us. We're in a bad place. We can't do what we need to do. We owe a debt that we can't pay. We serve the wrong kingdom. And Jesus steps in for us. Jesus pays what we owe. He moves us from the power of the devil to the power of the Lord. And by the work of Jesus himself, by the work of Jesus, the word of God, we are acquitted. And in his his power, we live in God's kingdom forever. Jesus is king. Jesus has power over evil. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come to us. And how do we respond to that kingdom? What will the account of our lives look like? Will we be condemned by our words? 
or will we be acquitted by the word of God, by the work of Jesus Christ himself? We all, we all need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus you came to us. We thank you that in Jesus you have addressed our deepest need. We thank you that in Jesus we can be delivered from the power of evil forever. Father, we pray that you you remind us or you teach us that Jesus truly is Lord. Open our hearts and minds to see who Jesus truly is. And also, Father, move us, maybe for the first time or maybe for the millionth time, to take that step of committing ourselves to Jesus, of again putting ourselves under his authority and looking to him for everything that we need. And Father, we thank you that in Jesus you have provided You have provided everything we need now and forever. And we give you thanks and praise for that. Amen.